0: We are continuing our series in the book of Ruth, this amazing, beautiful story. Um, and as I was thinking about this passage and uh, you know, really sort of in context of the last year, uh, one clear lesson of the COVID era is that all of the planning, maybe that started in 2019, all of the planning that went into our lives of March 2020 through like yesterday did not turn out like we thought they were going to turn out. I remember right after college, I moved down to Macon and I, I um, got this job selling uh, for this company called Lanier Worldwide. It was document management and there was this older sales guy, had all these, uh, these quips, these witty sayings about sales. And one of them over and over again was plan your work, work your plan, your plan will work. Right, He told me that all the time. Plan your work, work your plan, your plan will work. And that literally couldn't be more false this past year. (laughs) And you'd think that that reality would teach us all a lesson about living for the moment and trusting in God more. And I know that some of you have, many of you have done just that. But some of us have doubled down and tried to control more. I know that that has been my scenario many times. I have been dealing with a situation over the last four to six weeks that I have really, really struggled with trusting God with. And so I need this passage this morning probably more than anyone else here because this story reminds us that God really is at work in our lives to redeem us and to display His glory as he redeems. Naomi and Ruth, as we have seen over and over again, are struggling. They are desperate and they are needy. And so Naomi hatches this plan in order to turn their situation or in hopes of turning their situation around. And in a lot of ways, it could have been disastrous. It could have uh, turned out in scandal. But it turns out well, not because of luck, but because, A... God is sovereign and he is good. And as Becca said, he is working out things for good for us and for his glory. And then, secondly, it turns out well because of the redemption of Jesus' ancestor, Boaz. And so, I'm going to ask Emily to read our passage. It's a long one. And then, we're going to talk briefly about the story. And then, I just have some thoughts on it.
1: This morning's scripture lesson comes from Ruth chapter 3. Verses 1 through 18. Then Naomi, her mother in law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry... He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, "'Who are you?' And she answered, "'I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer.' And he said, "'May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter,' But if he, will not redeem, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Let me pray real quick as we consider this uh, amazing passage. Heavenly Father, would you give us the eyes to see, um, the ears to hear, the minds to know, the heart, um, to have faith. All that is, is here, the beauty of redemption The beauty of your sovereignty. Uh, And so we pray to that end. Um, Amen. So we left off last chapter with Ruth coming home from a day of gleaning in the fields. And uh, Steve had shared with us all that was going on there. Um, She ended up in this field that was uh, owned by a relative of Ruth's family. And just by way of quick review, there is a family that is in Bethlehem. They uh, experience a famine in the land, so they go off. Um, and Naomi and her husband, and their two sons, uh, are uh, go to Moab. The two sons marry. And um, then all of the men die. And so uh, Naomi and the two daughter-in-laws come back to Bethlehem. One of them, Ruth, ends up ultimately uh, being the only one to come back with Naomi but they're they're destitute they're struggling Um, and so Ruth uh, is is able to go and glean at the edges of a field according to the law of God and so while she is there uh, gleaning at the edge um, she is approached um, by the owner of that field who again ends up being a, a close relative and uh, so he shows blessing and favor upon her, and uh, this is in chapter 2. Uh, she ends up uh, going back and explaining everything that had happened to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Naomi is, is just uh, flabbergasted in a lot of ways, and she pronounces this blessing, and she gives this info to Ruth about who this person actually is. Um, and uh, one of the main takeaways is that uh, God sovereignly works through messy Ordinary things, not only for his glory, but for our good. It's the third time that we've said that. Becca said it once. I've said it twice now. It's a theme that is throughout Ruth. Uh, uh, Verse 23 of chapter 2 tells us that Ruth gleaned in these fields until the very end of harvest, so probably at least a few weeks. And we're not sure during that time what kind of uh, contact that she might have had with Boaz, if she had Any at all. But whatever the case, Naomi comes up with this plan to get Boaz and Ruth together. And maybe some of you have experienced this before, either with a parent or a sibling or a friend, the the trying to get together uh, of two people. I one time tried to hatch a plan to uh, to do just that, actually with my now wife. Uh, It didn't work out so well the first time, but I came back summer after college. I think it was summer after my sophomore year. I had this elaborate plan, took her to dinner, and then I took her down in Roswell uh, to the Chattahoochee River, the section where there's shoals out in the middle of the river. So we, we climb through the water. We get on these shoals. The moon is basking over us. Um, you couldn't ask for a a more perfect setting. No one can say no in this setting. And after expressing my interest, right, she just responds, you know, I'm just not interested in anything exclusive right now with you. And I remember walking away uh, in the water, just dejected about that reality. It was a beautiful plan, but it just didn't work out the way that I had thought. Well, here's a plan that Naomi gives to Ruth in hopes that it gets her, and Boaz together. And and the plan is basically this, that after work, Ruth is to bathe, to perfume, to get dressed, to walk outside of the town to the threshing floor where basically only men would be, possibly exposing herself to danger on the way. And most commentators, not all, but most agree that Naomi here is actually taking matters into her own hands. Hands and why would she be doing that? Well, clearly we we found that like she's skeptical not only about her own prospects but about her daughter in law's prospects as well. And the text is very neutral; it doesn't assign motivation or intent. So we need to be really careful in doing that ourselves. But we know at least that this plan probably would have put Ruth in a little bit of danger. Uh, But even if she made it there. Right, once there, it's a possibility that she could have been rejected. It's possible that, that this could have become scandalous if someone had sort of discovered what was going on or seen what she was doing. You get the impression that this is happening in the dark of night. But the reality is that the text here is just giving us an account. Right? It, it's descriptive, it's not prescriptive in that sense. Ruth is a story. It's a narrative. And the big lesson uh, here, really throughout the book of Ruth, is that there's a person or a group that gets into a messy, hard situation, but that God is sovereign and he is good and will work in and through the mess, in, in and through the ordinary situation. We see it over and over and over again playing out. Noah, after the flood and the drunkenness and the disastrous situation that resulted, and yet God is in the midst of that working it out. Abraham right convincing a foreign king that his uh, wife is actually not his wife and that uh, she should go with the king and yet God is in the midst working that out David and Bathsheba and the just disastrous sinful mess that was created in the adultery and the conspiracy to kill a friend in general in his army and yet God is in the, m- the midst of that of the mess for his glory and for the good of his people Over and over and over again, it is the story of the Bible. Well, our story here gets crazier, right? Ruth is to wait for Boaz to lay down and then uncover his feet, which sounds really strange to our ears. And I wish that I had time to unpack exactly what is going on here uh, as it sort of moves into uh, more of a PG-13 type of uh, situation. Um, And I wish that we did have time. We could analyze all of this, some interpret Uh, That Ruth is propositioning Boaz in some way, shape, or form. Well, the text is clear about what happens. After the events of of threshing, Boaz goes to sleep. Ruth comes in, uncovers his feet. In order to awaken him, she lays down. And he wakes up and he sees this woman and he asks her who she is. And she responds, Ruth. And then she proposes to him, And she does that by calling him out as a kinsman redeemer. In other words, she is asking him that he act according to God's law in Leviticus 25 that set up a situation where if a, a person found themselves in unpayable debt or they've lost their fields or they're sort of an indentured um, servant type of situation— That someone could come in and and redeem that situation. And in Leviticus 25, in the particular case, a lot of it has to do with land. And there's another law at play that I'm not going to go into because I think we'll probably take a look at it uh, next week. Where there's a law called Leveret Marriage, which allows a family member to step in to, to marry a widow. And so here is Ruth and she's calling him out as a kinsman redeemer. To step in, to redeem, to rescue out of their deplorable situation, and how does he respond? We'll look at verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. Three of the best words in all of Scripture. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He will redeem and rescue at great cost to himself. Okay, two points that I have in, in four lessons. It's probably more like six points, but that was too many, so I'm splitting it up and calling them two different things um, so it doesn't feel too burdensome. Okay, first point. There is a danger of taking matters in uh, to our own hands out of the Lord's. Desperation makes us do stupid things. And, and when have you done that? I think where a lot of us, We've had ample opportunity over the last year and a half to try and take matters into our own hands. You know, it sort of starts uh, with the the word to the Lord of like, God, I got this one. I think I've got this one figured out. There's really not even need to really talk about this or to seek counsel from a friend. I have this one. I have been tempted over the last ten years to take matters into my own hands as I minister, actually, to students. I mean, I'm supposed to be an expert in trusting the Lord and not taking matters into my own hands. But every time I sat with a student and they shared about being um, the child of a really hard divorce or uh, experience of abuse or a struggle with addiction or wrestling with depression or anxiety, my internal response was always, okay, how can I make this better? How can I fix this for this student? How can I help lift them out of depression how can I press their anxiety down? And every time I had to stop and say, no, point them to Jesus first. He is the one who has said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light and that he will give them rest, not me. And that rest comes from knowing that God is so good, so loving, and he redeems and rescues and comforts broken Messed up people. And one thing we learn is to leave God's plan in his hands, even when his plan does not align with ours. That's what, that's what trust is. Are his plans going to be thwarted by Naomi's plot, whether it goes according to plan or whether it does not? No. And that is a beautiful thing to realize for us. We can continually try and take over and God will continue to love us through it and to guide us back. Point number two is just a call to trust actually in God's way and that it is a way of redemption. And by the way, maybe most of us in this room or those who are watching have grown up in the church. And so you hear a word like redemption and you're like, yeah, redemption. I hear it all of the time. But working with students over the years that did not grow up in the church, I've realized that even a simple word like that sometimes gets lost on people, right? We, we use it all of the time in Christianity. Well, what is going on? What is redemption? Redemption, um, we could talk a lot about it. But basically, it is, a, it is a situation in which a person uses their own resources, they give of themselves in order to bring a person, sometimes land, land, Uh, But in in context of scripture and Christianity, uh, to bring a person out of a a debt situation, a um, servanthood or slavery situation in which they cannot get themselves out of. In other words, it requires an outside presence, an outside person to step in and rescue the person. And the reason why we talk about redemption... All of the time in Christianity, is, it is at the heart of it because it is what God has done for us. It is the work of Jesus. It is, that is the, the cost part. It is the son of God who has given up his life in order to bring people out of debt. People out of slavery. And it's the reason why it's all over the story of Ruth. And here's the really plain fact. Naomi and Ruth are destitute. They have nothing to offer. They have no hope. They have no prospects. And the fact is, that reality is the only thing that actually saves them. <laughs> it, the fact that they're destitute. The fact that, that they're end of their rope. That is what saves them. Their standing is literally here in the hands of Boaz as the Redeemer. And it is us. It is us. The whole heart of Christianity is us saying to Jesus, the same Thing that Ruth says to Boaz. Look at what she says. This hit me in a new way the other day. Look at uh, verse 9. He said, Who are you? Which is a great question, by the way. I think it's a question that we need to picture the Lord asking us. Who are you? He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over me, over your servant. For you are a redeemer. I am Stephen, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What is your name? You know, I I am Leslie. I am Joe. Um, I am Jimmy. I am Steve. I am Bo. I am Susan. What is your name? Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Lord, which means the spreading your wings means give me your life. And that's what Ruth is doing here that we need to see so clearly. Boaz, everything you have is everything that I need. Give me your life. Will you accept me? And the answer here is yes, and yes, and yes. Four lessons. Number one, don't try and outthink God. He knows what he's doing. And I think the question for us is, do we really believe that? Even though the name of the Lord or the the presence of the Lord does not show up uh, over and over and over again in the book of Ruth, does not mean that he is not everywhere in the book of Ruth. He absolutely is. But sometimes when we don't feel the presence, um, realize that he is everywhere and in everything, we do try to outthink him. Do we believe that he knows what he's doing? Have you believed that over the last year and a half that God knows what he's doing? I've questioned that. Number two, we need each other. In this room, online, that we need each other. If we learn anything, we learn that relationships are just absolutely messy. Spouses, children, parents, friends. We want to control all of them. But the question is, are you willing to be Ruth? Vulnerable. Laying it all out on the line. Are you willing to be Ruth when you need someone else to help you? Because that's what the church is for. That's what family is for. That's what friendship is for. And are you willing to be Boaz? Are you willing to be like Jesus and give up what you have in order to help others, in order to rescue, in order, might I even say, to help redeem those who are at the end of their ropes, who are indebted? Third, do you see the heart of God in redeeming Ruth? Ruth is a foreigner she is a widow she is poor she is marginalized and last week steve i know even went deeper into the fact that maybe she was emaciated maybe she hasn't eaten well in months maybe maybe her physical appearance has even started at least to be affected by by that these are the people that god cares for in the old testament and in the new testament in all of scripture, it is who the church has cared for for 2,000 years. Are we replicating the heart of God in the way that we care for Ruth's? Is in town replicating that heart? Are we involved in the redemption of a broken and sinful world at a cost? Are we willing to get uncomfortable? And I have been so proud in a lot of ways of the way that InTown has leaned into this, especially over the last year and pray that we continue to do so. And then lastly, redemption is costly. Redemption is costly. This will probably be uh, looked at more in, in the coming weeks, but um, what is being asked of Boaz is not just, oh, he's, he's got plenty of money and, and redeeming is really not going to uh, do much uh, to his own sort of personal wealth. No, there is great cost here. And the redemption of Ruth and Naomi by Boaz is certainly about God's providence and his goodness. We've talked about that, right, for his glory and for our good. But it is also so blatantly pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ that it is amazing. And I have this quote. I didn't get it in time to put on the bulletin, but I want to read it to you. This is from uh, uh, a man named Bruce Waltke, who's an Old Testament theologian. I want to read what he says because I think in a real short way he captures that uh, reality. Boaz did more, this is what he says, Boaz did more than share. He sacrificed himself financially to give Naomi and Ruth land and an inheritance in perpetuity. Jesus Christ, the greater anti-type, or the greater Boaz, sacrifices his blood to give his church a regenerated earth and eternal life. Boaz gave the dead immortality. And the way that he did that, by the way, is Elimelech and the two sons are dead. And because of that, right, there's, there's an indebtedness. And by the fact that he, Boaz, steps in and redeems, he actually gives them, uh, in a lot of ways, like their dignity, their uh, inheritance, their life back. So he, he gives that back to the dead. So Boaz gave the dead immortality. By his sacrifice, he bought back those who had verged into death in debt. He secured a Ruth, his Gentile bride his Gentile bride, Boaz brought his bride into final rest. As Boaz brought Naomi and her family rest, so David brought Israel rest and Christ gives the church rest. This is one of those passages where Jesus is just all over the place. This is ultimately about him. And if you are a Christian, you are redeemed by Jesus, just like Ruth was redeemed by Boaz. She became a mother of Jesus. You have become a brother, a sister, a friend of Jesus. You are a child of God through redemption. A number of years ago, I uh, was heading to a, a committee meeting. I've, I'm, for I think five more days, I'm the campus minister for RUF at Emory University. And, um, one of the things I have to do is multiple times a year, go to committee meetings where there are other, um, elders that sort of oversee my ministry. They hold me accountable. They, they help shepherd and pastor and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, many years ago I was able to meet someone who, uh, served on that committee named Ryan Tuttle. Ryan is a, uh, was a dear friend, um, of in town And uh, Ryan and I became good friends over the last number of years, um, so much so that I was able to uh, be with him during his last uh, treatment um, for cancer for just a short amount of time. Me and another friend of ours uh, got to spend time with him. And yesterday morning, there was a memorial service 14 months um, after he actually passed away because of of, of COVID. And it it was really beautiful, sitting and listening to those who eulogized him and to the pastors speak about this um, amazing man who touched so many lives for Jesus, through his humor, um, through his uh, administrative gifts, um, through his wit, through his wisdom. And the answer or the question that kept coming up uh, in my own mind is how, how? How did Ryan touch so many lives? And I know the answer to it because I got to sit with him over and over again. Ryan changed lives principally because he was redeemed by Jesus. In the same way that Ruth and Naomi changed so many lives in history because she was redeemed by Boaz. Jesus gave up his life for Ryan Tuttle and Ryan Tuttle gave up his life for others. And when I think about uh what all of this is about it is christians like ryan tuttle who showed through his life how powerful Jesus' redemption really is someone who in a lot of ways self admittedly would tell you i was so self-interested he became a christian through ruf at mercer a a number of years ago he was so self-interested but jesus changed him so much because of redemption that he gave his life away to other people That's what this is all about. And Ryan Tuttle's life showed just the power of redemption. Through his life, what it's really all about. It's a story on full display with Ruth and Boaz, and it is one that I hope is on full display in your life. And if you're at a point, whether you're a Christian or not, and you've said to yourself, do I really see the power of God's redemption through Jesus Christ showing up in my life in real, tangible ways? This text is an opportunity to say, spread your wings over your servant. For you are a redeemer. That is who we worship, a redeemer. Let me pray. Father. Father. This text is so amazing and beautiful and just spending 30 minutes barely scratched the surface of its magnificence. Even the way the grammar is laid out, is just, it's, it's unbelievable. And we didn't even have time to look at that. But what is at the heart of it is a child of yours, children of yours, Boaz and Ruth coming together, one redeeming, the other, the other serving. And it is a picture of your son, Jesus, and his Gentile bride, us, the church. Thank you that you have sought and pursued us and redeemed us the same way that Boaz redeemed Ruth. May we live in light of that reality all the time. And call us to trust in you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.